All right, as usual, we're all filled up from the children's sermon. <laughs> I, uh, I welcome you to Incarnation this morning. Uh, I want to introduce our speaker for, the, for today. We have a very special guest today, and he is the Archbishop of the Anglican Church North America. His name is Foley Beach, and uh, I've known him for a few years here. And uh, the way that this visit ended up shaking down is that um, a couple of years ago, um, we were, um, Peter and I and, and Esau McCauley and some other people were trying to start um, this uh, new movement in the Anglican Church North America called the Anglican Multi-Ethnic Network, or AMEN. It's the best acronym in the ACNA. <laughs> and, uh, and Archbishop Foley asked us if we could meet, uh, in, meet him in Atlanta. He spent the day with us and just asked us questions and what would this look like and how can the ACNA become more multi-ethnic, in, in particular reaching American-born ethnic minorities. Um, the ACNA is actually always had a large contingency of immigrants. The Anglican Church is a global church. And uh, another interesting thing about that is um, oftentimes when you guys come in the door, you might see this big picture of a whole bunch of people <coughs> dressed in fancy clothes uh, hanging right above the table there. Well, that's a gathering of bishops um, throughout the world. Um, you'll notice most of them do not look like they're from the United States. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and um, actually, Archbishop Foley was a rec recently appointed the chairman for um, GAFCON, which is a global um, fellowship of Anglicans around the world. He's the first non-African chairman. Is that right? I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we're so blessed to have Archbishop Foley. I, I've, I've, I've often said this, that um, as, I've, as I've gotten to know him, and he's just a humble man. He shares Jesus with people in a relational way. Um, I've often just thought, wow, our, uh, the, the Anglican Church in North America must be in a pretty healthy place to appoint a man like Foley as our archbishop. So, so grateful to have you this morning. And uh, he's going to preach to us. I'll, I'll let you open us in prayer. Thank you. But we've already had the sermon. Yeah. <laughs> That was really good. Thank you for that. Um, I'm not going to be in James, though. I'll be in Mark. Okay. okay. Well, let's pray. Uh, Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for allowing us to uh, gather together in your name this morning. Thank you for the privilege to do that. We ask now that you, as we open your word that you would use this for your glory and uh, speak to us what you want us to hear. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, first, let me say as the Archbishop and Primate of the Anglican Church in North America, it's really great to be here. Um, Taylor, thanks for asking me, and uh, I've heard so much about your congregation, and it really is a joy to be here. Um, Taylor asked me to begin um, African style and, and tell you my story, so I'm trying to figure out how to weave my story into the sermon. I hadn't gotten there yet, so we'll just figure that out <laughs> as we go, but I'm from Atlanta, uh, was born there, and uh, I'm one of six kids, um, and up until about eight years old. I thought my life was pretty normal. Um, it actually wasn't, um, but at eight my parents got divorced. Uh, my mother, um, as it turns out, um, was had a ser serious problem with alcoholism and um, she also slept around a lot. So um, it wasn't a surprise. Um, you know, we'd wake up in the morning and she'd be coming in from some nightly escapade. And, and my father eventually just couldn't take it anymore and, and he divorced her. Well, Back in those days, when you got divorced, it didn't matter what the reason was. They automatically gave custody of the children to the mom. And so for the next five years, um, I lived with my mother, who 
became what was known at that time as a hippie. Anybody remember the hippies? Uh, some of you um, have read about it. Some of you were from that era, but you can't remember that. We won't ask you why. Um, but, but basically, she got involved in the drug culture as it swept through uh, North America, and um, and we moved from place to place, uh, mostly in the southeast, and um, I went to actually five different elementary schools uh, during that time, and, um, and our house was the party house, and uh, she uh, would constantly throw parties, and uh, we'd have all kind of people staying with us. Um, I'd wake up, and I, I wouldn't know who was in my bed with me. I mean, it was that kind of event. And... Um, Eventually, I was a, what you call a street kid on the streets of Atlanta. Some of my best friends were, were, were street kids, and, and no supervision. We were just on our own. And um, on my 12th birthday, um, she was arrested. Uh, my birthday is on Halloween. She was having a party. And uh, so she was arrested for selling drugs and um, harboring runaways. And so the uh, courts uh, gave her probation. Uh, she was served some time, but... Uh, part of it was she wasn't allowed to see us. Um, and so we went to live with my father. And my father uh, had remarried by this time and uh, had gotten involved in the church. And so they were going to church every Sunday. So we started going to church every Sunday. And uh, that next summer, the uh, youth group was having a, a, a camp up in the North Georgia mountains. And so I was invited to go and went. And I was just having a great time. And one evening around the campfire, the associate pastor began to talk about Jesus and how he came to earth to save us from our sins, um, that God doesn't want anybody to go to hell, that he loves us, but you have to receive Jesus. And how he died on the cross, and a you know, great explanation of the gospel. And so I didn't want to go to hell. Um, <laughs> so I received Jesus. And, and um, it wasn't, uh, how do I say it? it it wasn't trivial to me. Uh, I mean, it was a meaningful thing. Uh, but that was eighth grade and high school hit. And as I began to grow intellectually and emotionally and socially and physically, growing all that way, but I wasn't growing spiritually. And so by the time I got to my senior year, I was in church on Sundays, some, most Sundays, but the rest of the week I was doing like everybody else was. And so a friend invited me to... Um, a ministry called Young Life. I don't know if some of you all know yeah. about Young Life. It reaches kids who, uh, who just could care less about God. And actually, the true reason I went was there was this girl. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I began to go, and, and this um, uh, leader got up one night, and he began to uh, talk, and he, he described our life like a chest of drawers, like you put your clothes in. And he said, we, you know, we have our family drawer, our school drawer, our religious drawer, our dating drawer, our athletic drawer, you know, all these different drawers of our life. And he said, what most people do is put God in a drawer marked religious. And when they want God around, they open the drawer. When they don't, they shut the drawer. And he said, God doesn't want to be stuffed in some drawer of your life. I thought, wow, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> he wants the whole chest. He wants to be a part of every well, that really got my head spinning. And a few weeks later, a friend of mine invited me to his church. I was staying at his house. And the pastor that Sunday gave a sermon entitled, Jesus Christ, the Lord or my Lord. And the whole first part of the sermon was on Jesus being Lord of creation, Lord of the earth, Lord of humanity, you know, all these aspects of the Lordship of Christ. The last part was what it meant to have him as my Lord. Mm -hmm. 
the one who is my master, my boss, the one in charge of my mm. life. Mm. And I realized at that point that, yes, I'd ask Jesus into my life. I could quote John 3, 16, you know, all these different Bible verses about my salvation. But he wasn't Lord. He mm. wasn't in charge. I was the one in charge of my life. And so that night I got down on my knees mm -hmm. um, by my bed, and I, I prayed a simple little prayer, something like, Jesus, I just want you to be in charge. Take my life and, and use it as, as you want. I want to serve you. And I yield my life to you. Well, I didn't have any fireworks go off. You know, some people have the fireworks happen. But this peace invaded my life. Uh, when I would read his word, it would, it would speak to me. You know, what I was going through. When I would pray, I didn't feel like God was way up there somewhere and my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. But he was here. Mm. The, we were having this communion. And, and so from that day on, my life hadn't been the same. Uh, it has been one adventure after another, good, good adventures, uh, of walking with the Lord and, and allowing him to, uh, to lead me and to guide me and to see his blessing and his joy in my life. Now, I, I could go on and on about all, you know, all these things. Someone asked me how I became a bishop this morning, an archbishop. We can talk about that later. <laughs> uh, but that's my story. And it's just been an incredible walk with the Lord. And that happened, I'll give my age away here now, 40, over 40 years ago, which just sounds so weird to say that. <laughs> so our text this morning is from the Gospel of Mark. And so if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 30. Mark 9, verse 30. And let me begin by saying the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write this gospel, to tell the story of Jesus, and to emphasize about the kingdom of God. Actually, he even begins Jesus' first words in the gospel talking about the kingdom of God. In chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, the time, these are the first words you hear Jesus say in this gospel. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So then Mark spends the rest of his gospel telling about what Jesus said, what he did, and emphasizing about the kingdom is now here. Well, our reading this morning follows an amazing story in the life of Jesus. It's called the Transfiguration. You may remember that. Jesus goes up on a mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, and all of a sudden he's transfigured. And, and the way the text says it, it's like, will you stand up? Will you stand up? See her white gown there? She has on white robe. Well, it's like that was just uh, illuminating, like like a lightning bolt. You couldn't even look at it. He yeah. was transfigured, and all of a sudden, the two big guys from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, appear. And then this cloud descends, and you hear this voice out of the cloud, which is the Father saying, "This is my beloved Son. Listen to him." It's like. The Lord was saying, you've had Moses, the law. You've had Elijah, the prophets. But now, here it is. Amen. Listen. Amen. Well, great experience. We're coming down the mountain. Jesus says to, the, to the Peter, James, and John, don't, don't tell anybody about this until after I've risen from the dead. And he walks into the village, and there's this, this uproar. And as it turns out, there was this man who had his demon-possessed son who was making him act like uh, he had um, um, epilepsy. epilepsy, thank you, and um, just making him do bizarre things. He brought him to the disciples. They couldn't heal him. 
And so they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus heals this guy. So that's the context of, of, of where our passage picks up. So we're going to pick up in verse 30. <clears throat> so they went from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Verse 32. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. Now, I don't know if you try to put yourself in the disciples' mindset a minute, but they couldn't understand it. They couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying. I mean, if you really think about it, they didn't have movies. They didn't know the end of the story. When they thought about somebody dying, they died. <laughs> um, you know, they, in their little village, you know, someone would die, and they'd bury him, and that was it. The idea of someone rising from, I mean, just, it, it, it didn't compute. I mean, Jesus had already told him twice. Back in chapter 8, verse 31, he said this, and began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He's told them this, but they can't grasp it. And then coming down the mountain in uh, chapter 9, verse 9, don't say anything until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. What do you mean dead? You're the Messiah. No one's going to kill you. you can't, we've seen you do all these miracles. You've healed people. You've delivered them. You've helped people walk. You've stopped the, 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 the storms. You fed 5,000 and even 4,000 another time with, with just a little bit of food. What do you mean you're going to die? They, they just, just couldn't comprehend. You see, it's not what the disciples were expecting with the kingdom of God. Their idea of a Messiah was someone who was going to basically conquer the Romans, establish this godly kingdom, Israel, who was going to have this earthly kingdom um, that was going to have power over all the enemies of Israel. That's, that, that's, that's what they thought about Messiah. So the idea of die, what do you mean you're going to die? You're going to kill them. I mean, that's, that's the thinking that they're coming from. But it's a different kind of kingdom. Jesus had even told them in Mark 4.11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And he told him later, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God. It, they, they, they just can't fathom. Now when we speak of kingdom of God, we're talking about the reign of God. The rule of God. But, but they weren't hearing it. So when Jesus talks about that he's going to get killed... They're thinking, well, he's the Messiah. He's not going to get killed. So verse 32. Well, I can't find 32. There it is. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Well, he doesn't start that. stop there. Look at verse 33. So then they were coming to Capernaum. So they're going to Galilee. They get to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was really like Jesus' ministry headquarters. If you think of the Sea of Galilee as a clock, it would be like 11 o'clock uh, on, the, on, the, on the clock, on the lake. That's where it was, up here in, in, the, in the corner. And it was right next to this major road that was the trade route from Europe 
all the way to Africa. So it was a perfect location to have a ministry headquarters. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Hey, this new kingdom's coming. We're going to be the leadership team. We're going to be his divine cabinet. Peter, do you think I'll be his chief counselor? John, surely I'll have a more important place than Matthew. And I'm probably being gentle. It says they were arguing about this. Their picture of the kingdom of God was an earthly kingdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even though Jesus spoke of another kingdom, their paradigm was just locked in place in their minds. In the next chapter, we're told that James and John had the audacity to ask Jesus to allow them to sit one on his right and one on his left when he's sitting on his throne. I know. If I'd been there, I'd probably done the same thing, right? <laughs> but but it's, what I want you to see is all they could grasp. I mean, so Jesus tried to help them understand. Verse 35. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, servant of all. Last of all? Be servant? Jesus is trying to attempt to teach them the prince, some of the principles of the kingdom of God. It's not the same as earthly kingdoms. He gets even more specific in the next chapter when he answers about Peter and, John, uh, Peter and James, I'm sorry, James and John sitting on his right and left hand. He says this in chapter 10, verse 32, 42. And Jesus called to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. For their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom to many. This is totally foreign in their understanding of what it means to be a leader, to be one in charge, to serve. And as Jesus said, to to lay down his life as a ransom for all. But but that is what he's trying to get across to them. Now, let's don't get the kingdom of God confused with the organizational church. It would be nice, yes, if the organizational church reflected this principle of the kingdom of God. Servanthood, being last, dying to self. But the church is made up of people. Actually, the church is people. And people are not perfect. And too often our humanity gets in the way of kingdom business. And that's why we have so many problems we, we, in the church. Yes. It becomes about us and not about the kingdom of God. Lord, if you'll do this or that, then I'll join the church. Or Lord, if you help me with this test, I'll start witnessing for you. I mean, on and on. You know, we come up with these things to negotiate with serving the Lord. It's all about me. 
If you want to be used to the Lord for kingdom purposes, you've got to yield to Him. Let go. No strings attached. Lord, I'm here to serve you. Lord, use me where you need me. Lord, I'm so grateful to you for what you've done for me, for forgiving my sins. Let me to have this relationship with you. Just tell me. I'll do it. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all, servant of all. Years ago, a good buddy of mine, his name is Mike Atkins, and he fell in love with the Lord, and he wanted to serve the Lord in his church, and he went to this big church, and uh, he, he goes to the pastor, and he says, I, I've come to serve. What can I do? Well, the pastor, I don't have any jobs. He said, well, I want to work for the church. What can I do? And so turns out they had a janitor a need for a janitor. Hmm. So this guy says, okay, I'll do it. And he became the janitor of the church for, for years. Then he became the youth pastor of the church. Then he became the singles pastor. And that's where I got to know him because he was a great Bible teacher. Um, now he is the pastor of a huge church in Jackson Hole um, and, and leading people to Christ in just tremendous ways. But he was willing to do whatever the Lord wanted him to do. Amen. Said, Lord, I'll serve you in whatever way. Well, then Jesus illustrates what he's trying to get them to understand. Verse 36. Chapter 9, verse 36. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child... And put him in the midst of them, taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So who usually takes care of the children in that culture? The women. Or the older children. Or the household servants. They actually had slaves in that culture. Would a man take care of a child? No way. It was below him. It was women's work. I don't mean to be sexist, but in that, that was the attitude in that culture. I'm not going to receive a child. I'm not going to take care of children. Mm. It's interesting, the Greek word for receive here means to welcome or to have as a guest. In the context, it means hospitality. To serve them. If you think about Middle Eastern culture, especially Hebrew culture, what? I mean, when someone comes into your house, you serve them. Luke takes it a step further and quotes Jesus. He adds this, the phrase that Jesus said, you must become as a child and receive the child. The disciples must have been appalled by what Jesus was saying. He was turning their world of understanding upside down and inside out. But this is how life is in the kingdom of God. It's not a kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of God. And Jesus invites all people into this kingdom. Our text this morning is a vivid reminder in this crazy world we live in where everything is about power and control and lording over and authority. That that's not the way of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is joy, peace, Believing in the Holy Spirit, and it comes out of serving one another. So Jesus invites everyone, including you, 
to come under his reign, under his kingdom, under his lordship. He invites you and me to know him and to love him in our lives. And the best way to come into his kingdom is by following the words he said in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, which I shared a few minutes ago. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We hear today about God loving you. God loves you and he does love you and he loves you. But we don't hear much about this repentance piece. Repent means simply to change your mind. I'm going this direction and I'm doing things my way and I'm living life the way I want to and I'm doing my own thing. To repent, I turn. Lord, okay, I'll do what you want me to do. Lord, I'm serving you. Lord, I'm following you. Lord, I'm going to have your will in my life. Lord, I'm going to do what you say. Repent. And he says, and believe in the gospel. What he's told us is true. That God does love you. That he did come to die on the cross for our sins. That he will enter your life if you'll invite him in. That he will forgive you. That he will love you. That he'll care for you. That he'll provide for you. In John 1, verse 12, Jesus said, I'm sorry, the Apostle John said of Jesus, to as many who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Those who received him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. Jesus said it this way in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's like the, the door of our heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door. I will come in with him, into him and fellowship with him and he with me. He desires to enter into our lives, fellowship with us, to help us know him intimately and to meet our needs in the gospel. But it's up to you. He's not going to force. I love that verse from Revelation. He's knocking. Mm -hmm. He doesn't bust the door down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he just knocks. And to those who open up, he comes in. So if you're here this morning and, and you've never opened the door, I want to invite you to do that. It's just a simple prayer. Lord, I yield myself to you. Come in. Fill my life with your presence. Lord, I need your forgiveness. So let's just have a quiet moment of prayer. And if you need to pray, however you need to pray, I want to invite you to do that quietly before the Lord this morning. Lord, for anyone who's opened themselves up to you this morning, I pray that right now, in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would meet them in their need. Fill their lives with your presence. May they know you in a powerful way. And Lord, help us all to serve you as children, not as lords, not as powerful people, but as children of yours, seeking to do your will. And this is our prayer in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Amen.